If you haven't noticed already, we're going to talk about baptism today. As a deacon, it's my job to assist in the sacraments. We have two, you know, in the United Methodist Church, Holy Communion and Holy Baptism. I love to help with baptism here at Clarkston United Methodist, where we use a lot of water, and we talk about how you can never wash that baptismal water off. But where did baptism come from? What does it mean? Why do we do it? We're going to start off uh, with the Gospel of Luke to explain. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the paths of the Lord, make his ways straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, renew us with your transforming power this day so that we may fulfill our callings, whatever they may be, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. It had been hundreds of years since there was a prophet to bring the word of God to the people of Judea, and they were chafing under the oppression of the Romans. They had been promised a Messiah, But when, oh when, would that Messiah come? And John the Baptist appeared, 
calling for people to turn from their sinful ways, to repent, and to be washed clean in the Jordan River. In the chapter of Luke, the prophet Isaiah is quoted to describe John, saying that he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist was announcing a new way of living, a life of salvation. So people started to hope. They started to wonder if John was the Messiah for whom they had waited so long. He answered them directly. He was not the Messiah, for another was coming. After him, who had baptized not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. All the people who were listening to John were baptized, and then Jesus was baptized. It's interesting to me that scholars have never quite agreed on why. In our scripture reading from Luke today, John was proclaiming a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus didn't need that. He was without sin. Some say that his baptism um, is a gift, a process by which God dispenses grace, and that Jesus chose to receive that gift of grace. Others say that his baptism was a pronouncement by Jesus, that he was ready to begin his ministry. It could also be that Jesus submitted to baptism as a symbolic anticipation of his death and resurrection. Maybe these are all true to an extent. And like so many concepts in scripture, Jesus' baptism has just, um, just has different layers of meaning. As United Methodists, we are all expected to be theologians and decide which meaning speaks to us. It is perhaps the next thing that happens in our story that is more significant. After Jesus was baptized, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the anointing that makes Jesus Messiah. Jesus was first water washed, and then spirit born. 2,000 years have passed since the time of Jesus' baptism and the great commission in the Gospel of Matthew saying that we are to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, during that time, with so many Christians arguing about the aspects of baptism as well as the ebb and flow of church traditions, the sacrament of baptism has been, no pun intended, watered down to the point that many do not understand it at all. I will admit to you that even though I've been a United Methodist all my life, I didn't really understand it until I had the opportunity to go to school and get taught about it. It's exciting to me that in the United Methodist Church, It is in a time of renewed commitment to the ancient tradition and meaning of baptism. There's a resource now that contains the text of our denomination's official position on baptism and also a study guide to help explain it. If you're interested in that, come see me. I've got it in my office. So 
So what does baptism mean to us today? Just as John the Baptist called people to repent, so baptism today is a sign of turning away from the sin and wickedness of the world and choosing to live a life modeled on Jesus Christ. The word repent means to turn away from one action and do another, usually to turn away from something negative, right, and turn toward something positive. Also, if you picture a person being submersed under the water in an immersion baptism, it symbolizes dying to this world and then coming up out of the water and being raised to a new life in Christ. This new life in Christ can be witnessed in new behavior, a transformation wrought by God in the person who was baptized. Whether baptism is done by immersion, sprinkling, or pouring, there is the idea of being cleansed of sin, of old ways. This idea of cleansing oneself of impurities goes back into the Jewish faith long before John the Baptist. In fact, uh, when I got to go to the Holy Land in 2011, you can still see the um, special places where um, people went to bathe um, before they entered the temple. They're still there. So we are water-washed in baptism. However, I want to make sure you know, as United Methodists, we do not believe that the water itself has any magical powers. (laughs) Water is a symbol of God who does the cleansing, of God who forgives us of sin. Another word um, that's important in baptism is covenant. A covenant is a special kind of agreement between two parties with responsibilities to fulfill on both sides. Covenant speaks of the relationship between God and us. Just as God came to people in biblical times, so God comes to us in grace and awaits our faithful response. The baptismal covenant celebrates who we are, God's children, and whose we are. We are God's. It celebrates where we belong and what we are about. It is a promise we make to serve Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in union with the church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. It is God's promise of salvation, saving us from sin and death, giving us peace that passes all understanding, sticking with us through thick and thin, giving us purpose and guidance and meaning. The idea of covenant also implies a long-term agreement, not just a one-time event. The covenant of baptism is a lifelong commitment. We have a collection of services included in our United Methodist baptismal covenant in our hymnals that covers our lifetimes. Holy baptism, confirmation, which we celebrated earlier this month when um, young people whose parents took vows for them initially Um, can confirm their faith in Jesus Christ. Reaffirmation, which we're going to do today, when those who have already been baptized can renew the covenant made at their baptism, as well as reception into a local congregation when people join the church. Another theme in baptism is grace. One of the main disagreements between different Christian denominations is over infant versus adult baptism. The United Methodist Church believes that baptism is a celebration 
of God's grace. This makes it very appropriate for infants to be baptized because even adults are the same as infants before God, unable to achieve their own salvation. It is appropriate as well even for adults who do not have the cognitive ability to make a decision for Christ to be baptized because we are all the same before God in need of grace. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, firmly believed, and it is our heritage to believe, that God's grace is available to all people. It is not merely a privilege for some. God's grace is an outpouring of unearned, undeserved love on us. That we celebrate God's grace in baptism is also why we don't rebaptize. God's grace is never rescinded. God never gives up on us. God never fails. We may fail, right, on our end of the agreement, our end of the covenant, but God never does. That's why baptism is only done once. This is different from other denominations who consider baptism to be a ritual signifying the faith promise of the believer or only as an entrance ritual into a certain congregation or community of faith. One of my favorite words to describe baptism, as people who are now going through new member classes here at Clarkston will tell you, is inauguration. An inauguration is a beginning, as baptism is the inauguration of one's Christian life. But it implies so much more. In a presidential inauguration, a person begins his or her term of office. However, there's a lot that happens beforehand to make getting to that point possible. There's a campaign, right, with all of the rallies, the handshaking, the publicity, the debates. And then there's the election with the voting and the waiting and the counting and the results. Don't worry, I'm not going to get sidetracked by giving any commentary on this year's election. I'm just using it as an analogy to say that in baptism, there is also a lot that happens beforehand, before baptism. In fact, uh, one of my favorite experiences as a clergy person was to assist in a baptism of a 92-year-old woman uh, from my last church. She had never been baptized, and she was in a nursing home and couldn't walk, but um, she still wanted to join the family of God, and she did that. In Methodism, we talk about prevenient grace, the kind of grace that is with us even before we know consciously of God or God's love for us. It is that grace that compels us toward God, even if we don't realize that that's what is happening. There's the learning about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, about the message of hope and salvation, and then, in young people and adults, the decision to enter into the Christian life. For infants or young children, it's the parents who make the decision to celebrate God's grace and the life of a baby and to mark the child as a disciple of Christ. An inauguration also implies that something comes after, right? The whole term of office for a president and the whole Christian life for a baptized person. This is a lifelong journey of faith. We only baptize once, but baptism is not meant to be a one-time event to be forgotten about afterwards. It is an entrance rite into the baptismal covenant needs to be talked about, referred to, 
and lived out every day. That lifelong journey of faith is not traveled alone. Another word very important to baptism is community. In United Methodism, baptism takes place within the context of the whole church, the community of faith. The ritual is witnessed and responded to by the congregation, as you know, and it is bigger than just the United Methodist Church. We consider ourselves one with all members of the family of Christ. Our book of worship says, when someone is baptized, it is a crucial event in the life both of that person and of the church. What happens to that member of the body of Christ will make a difference to every other member and the rest of the church can never again be the same. One baptismal liturgy says, your joy, your pain, your gain, your loss are ours, for you are one of us. What a beautiful statement about the way we are to relate to the people in our church family. We promise to nurture and support those who are welcomed into the body of Christ, whether they be a baby or a small child or an adult. That lifelong journey is also filled with tasks to accomplish. We are called in baptism to a lifetime of service because we are initiated into the priesthood of all believers. We are not only expected to encourage and support one another on our Christian journeys, we are also expected to affect positive change in our world as baptized followers of Christ by being the presence of Christ to people who are unwanted, unloved, untouchables of our world. We are expected to affect positive change in the places where those people try to survive. We are called to ministries of justice and mercy. It almost sounds like too much, doesn't it? What a blessing for us that we are not only water-washed, but spirit-born. The Holy Spirit works within us that having been born of the Spirit, we are able to live as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. We're incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation. We are given the sign of the cross on our foreheads, marking us forever as disciples of Jesus Christ. If we are listening, the Holy Spirit has and will continue to prod and push us outside of our comfort zones in order for us to be the hands and feet of Christ in a world so in need of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit will give us the strength and grace to accomplish whatever we are called to do. Many of you know that for two weeks this month, I attended the General Conference of the United Methodist Church It is an every four-year worldwide gathering of our denomination and the only official voice of the church. My most profound learning during that time came after I reflected on the different groups that I saw represented. There was the Native American tribe that welcomed us to the Pacific Northwest. There was the Korean presentation asking for prayers for peace between North and South Korea. Do you know there's never been a peace treaty? So the Korean War essentially is still going on. There was a demonstration from the Black Lives Matter movement. 
There were many mentions of racism and how it continues to plague our church and our society. There were demonstrations from the LGBTQ community on the hurt that continues to be waged by the church. And there was the retelling of the story of the Sand Creek Massacre back in the 1800s when a group of Native Americans were told to stay in a spot that was safe and were later brutally killed by the army led by a man who was a Methodist pastor. We apologized as a body at General Conference to a representative group of the tribes that were affected. I watched delegates from Africa, from the Philippines, from Europe, from Asia. I listened to a man from Wisconsin tell his personal story of woundedness by the church. And it came to me that all anybody wants All these groups represented by people at General Conference, all they want is a place at the table to be acknowledged as people who matter, to be claimed as children of God. That is what the kingdom of God is, where everyone is valued and seen with God's eyes, not our own. It is this kingdom into which we are ushered when we are baptized. And it is this kingdom we work toward building in a world where color and prejudice and misunderstanding often divide us. Baptism is more than just a simple ritual in our church life. It is more than a chance to admire a cute baby or even be happy for an adult who joins the church. It is the sacrament that inaugurates our Christian journey. It is the sign of repentance we make to God. It is a celebration of God's incredible grace. It is a covenant promise between God and us. It is part of living as a community of faith and living a lifetime of service. It is dying to this world and being raised to new life in Christ. It is promising to build a kingdom of justice and mercy and love and acceptance and reconciliation. It is being water-washed and spirit-born. And although it only happens once, we can celebrate it again and again and again by remembering our baptism. How do we remember our baptism, you ask, when you were only a baby? I understand I was four months old when I was baptized. I've seen a picture, but I don't have any memories of that day. As Christians, however, we can remember the faithfulness of our covenant God. How in the beginning of creation, God swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. How in the days of Noah, God saved those on the ark through water And after the flood, God set a rainbow in the clouds. How the Hebrews who were enslaved in Egypt were led to freedom through the Red Sea and then brought through the Jordan River to the land God had promised. How God came in the person of Jesus Christ, nurtured in the water of a womb. How Jesus was baptized by John and anointed by the Holy Spirit. How Jesus called his disciples then and his disciples now to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection, and to make disciples of all nations. 
gifts of water, each one, signs of grace. We add our own baptism to that list. Just as we add each baptism, we are privileged to witness. Each and every one is a sign of God's promise. In a moment, you will be invited forward to receive the sign of the cross on your forehead in water as a way of remembering your baptism. Some of you have not been baptized. If you have not been baptized, I invite you to come forward and take a glass stone that are in this bowl here as a tangible reminder of the love of God and the invitation to the covenant with God. I invite you to talk to me um, after the service, or if you want, you can write your uh, name or a little note on a prayer card that's in the pew and put it into the offering plate, and we'll talk later (laughs) if you have any questions or if you'd like to be baptized. As you're sitting in your pew and as you're walking forward, I invite you to think about the following questions. How is God calling you to build and reflect the kingdom of God in daily life? And what support will you need from other Christians in order to persevere? You are invited. Please come forward by the center aisle as you feel led. And both Reverend Gladstone and I will be here to greet you and then return by the side aisles. You are invited.